bow our heads together. Lord, we thank you for that shelter in the times of storms. We just say, let them rage. We're sheltered. We're sheltered. There's a place that we can be where we're secure, where the enemy cannot reach us. Lord, for you have hidden us in your pavilion, in the secret of your dwelling place. Lord, what a mighty God you are and how we want to express our love to you today. Thanksgiving for all the great things that you've done for us. We're asking your blessings upon us today. Upon those, Lord, that are listening in from wherever. Lord, from, from, from way down in South Africa to around the globe. Lord, to those who would say, we'll be listening in on Monday. On our Monday over in Japan. The different places, Lord, everywhere around the world. Oh God, thou knowest. Lord, the believers now that are, some of them are gathered in Hawaii and have written and said, we're listening in today. I pray, God, your needs of your people everywhere, you'll just supply them. Answer the hunger of every heart, the desire of every soul. Speak to us today, Lord. May we dwell in your presence. Lord, we thank you, oh God, that from, from here can go out rays of light. The different ministers and evangelists going out from this little church, Brother Timothy, away this weekend. I pray that you'll use him in a miraculous way. Lord, that you would bless your people, Father, as he gathers with those in Ohio, that the elect of God will hear the word of God and be blessed. Lord Jesus, every need of your people, may there be a fire of God burn among us. Bring healing and deliverance everywhere. A mighty revival as we go into the end time and we see the last days approach. Let your Holy Spirit move and speak today. Dissolving every doubt, removing every trouble, every problem. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Just a couple of um, things I wanted to share with you before that we read the word this morning and, and um, but we have here today a special day for Zachary Coleman I believe it's your birthday isn't it Zachary and you know what all else he wants to be baptized on his birthday so we're going to baptize him in the name of the Lord amen amen and then on Sunday, December the 6th, you know, the COVID went through our church here recently, and a lot of you um, got immune. And while we have that immunity, we want to enjoy it. And uh, we don't know what's happening, you know, in January when the new administration comes in and the restrictions they will force upon everybody. So um, while we have an opportunity, we're going to on Sunday, December the 6th, that's the first Sunday of the month. You know, we, it will be um, Communion Sunday, and, um, you know, it's, um, we're just passing Thanksgiving, and we're coming into Christmas, so we're just going to have a Christmas Thanksgiving meal together, and, and just enjoy ourselves that day while we can enjoy ourselves. Amen. Amen. I want us to sing the old song, There is Power, Wonder-Working Power in the Blood. How many believes in that blood today? Amen. Give me verse 1, if you will. 
Amen. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Would you for evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. Sing it with me now. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Give a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Enter into his courts of praise. Amen. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Amen. How wonderful the Lord is. How great is his faithfulness. Turn with me to Revelation 5 and verse 1. I'm going to read from there this morning. As we look into the Word of God and praying that the Lord will speak to hearts and lives, amen, as we minister from this scripture today, Revelation 5, verse 1, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. I just never get tired of this scene. And I saw a strong angel, and I can hear the prophet of God say it. As he comes across this very place, he said, oh, maybe I'm, I'm just feeling this way. But let him, let him come forth and take the book and to loose the seals. Saying, who is worthy with a loud voice? He was saying, proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth Neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders 
stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was... 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I say in blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Amen. As you just read here today with me, the great process of redemption. Amen. Amen. Keep it in mind, it is a process that begins with one sitting on the throne holding a book. And continues on until the, a, a lamb is slain and the slain lamb takes the book. And then it continues on until all creation worships God. Amen. So it is a process all till the renewal of the earth is made new again because it's all a part of the plan of redemption. Note the slain lamb, the blood and its atoning, thus cleansing power the cleansing power of the blood can never be overemphasized. That's why I'm speaking this morning on the blood and its power of restoration. The scripture said in Revelation 1.5, he has washed us from our sins in his own blood. In Revelation 5, it says that thou, verse 9 said, thou was slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So we can see here that everything that he does in redemption is by his blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And the, then finally, our, our overcoming comes by blood, as it says in Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. So, as we have been speaking in the last few days of, and few services on where is the church standing and what is our position, and then we, we are seeing that even heaven is doing something in this last day as things are moving and things are happening, and, and we see the lamb that was slain at Calvary, that he stands and in order, and he stands, and in order to be a, for a slain lamb to stand, he has to be a resurrected lamb. And he stood, and he took the book and removes its seals. 
And I think neither can we overemphasize the great God upon the throne. How that he became a man to be the slain lamb for our sins. It was not a junior God that he sent or another God. It was the very God who would be manifested in the flesh for our redemption. The, the fact that he was a man, though, it causes many to stumble. Even among believers, they want to seem to want to see him only as, as God and not as a man, or only a man and not as God. And, and we, we have, you know, the Pentecostal oneness people who got a revelation of baptism in Jesus' name and one God and, and whatever, but they only saw him, they only saw Jesus as God. They couldn't see his humanity. And those who advocate a true Lord doctrine can only see his humanity. But Brother Branham made it clear that he was either deity or the biggest deceiver the world ever saw. And he, he would make these kind of statements as he approached the church ages. He said, the first thing you've got to know is that he's not a prophet. He's not a junior God. He's not a secondary God. He is God. Amen. And he repeats, he is God. He would go on to say the greatest of all revelations is the deity, the supreme deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he would say the first in all revelation is the deity, the supreme deity of Jesus Christ. I am the, he that was, which is, and shall come. I am the first and the last, the almighty God. And the word, he would say in the church age book, the words are he is the beginner or author of the creation of God. Now we know for a surety that Jesus is God, very God. He is the creator. Now, we can never overemphasize, though, too much upon Christ's person as God and man. You can overemphasize he was only God. You can overemphasize he was just a man. But you can't overemphasize too much his person as God and man. He was man, yet he was the very God of heaven. He was called the mighty, the man of sorrow, and at the same time, the almighty God. Overall, blessed forever. He who was despised and rejected of man was beloved and adored by angels. The Bible said the angels worshiped him. And he who men hid their faces from him with contempt was, as I said, worshiped by cherubims and seraphims. Again, this is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifested in the flesh. He who was God and yet in the beginning was with God as the Logos, the word whereby he created all things. The word that would be made flesh to dwell among us. It was the highest stooping to become the lowest. It was the greatest that was taking his place among the least. The one who sat upon the well at Sychar and the one who said, give me to drink. To a woman there, um, a, a woman there at Samaria was none other than he that digged the oceans. The man who was of the substance of Mary, the seed and the egg being of God, but yet 
the recipient of this seed and egg was Mary from whom the substance taken from her body wrapped flesh around the blood cell of God. His manhood was real and essential. It differed from our own humanity in that he was sinless and he was born without sex. Yet he was born of a woman wrapped in swaddling cloths laid in a manger. He needed to be nursed by a mother just like any other child. He grew in stature just like any human being. As a man, he ate and he drank. He hungered, he thirsted, he rejoiced in sorrow. His body could be touched and handled and wounded and made to bleed. He was, he was a man of flesh. He was certainly no ghost. He could be made to bleed. He wasn't just a vision. He was absolutely flesh and blood like us in that he needed sleep. He required rest and food and was subject to pain and, and who in the end would yield up his life unto death. Amen. He was born sinless. So unlike all of us who were born in the sin, shaping and iniquity, he was the perfect man. He was incapable of corruption by sin, yet he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh. He is man, a son of man, meaning a man of dust. And yet he was the second Adam. Hebrews 2 and 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself also himself likewise took on part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. You can see what he was doing. He would come flesh for that purpose. To destroy and break the yoke of sin and Satan off of our lives. You see, though through the fall by being birthed in the sin and thus into mortality, we were born and we needed redemption from the cradle. Our human birth birthed us in the sin, in the sickness, disease, and the failure. In the message oneness, Brother Brandon would say, when Adam and Eve um, listened to the lie of the devil, the holy image of God left them. And their fellowship was broken. And their fellowship of oneness with God was broken. The very moment, the minute they listened to the lie of the devil, they broke their fellowship. And the very minute you listen to the lie of the devil, it'll break your fellowship. And that's the very minute you go out of the presence of God like she did is when you fail to take God's word just as it says. Now, he could not redeem us as God. We had fallen from that. We had lost our Godship. Come on. Amen. And losing our heavenly qualities, but we were, instead, we were fallen man. And so God came in the likeness of human flesh. He was born of a woman wrapping himself in soil that was cursed. You remember, God had said, I cursed the ground for Adam's sake. So he would actually wrap himself in cursed earth. Amen, making that cursed earth, that earth that was cursed, obedient to God himself and take it to the river Jordan to be baptized and to be filled with the Spirit of God. 
The first time since all of time that a man could totally and completely yield every member of his body to God was that was in Jesus. Think of that. Here he took on the form of man to be kinfolk, to be our redeemer. Yet he is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and lord of lords. Insomuch he was God, though also a man, according to the Hebrew law, he was our goel, which means our kinsman, the next of kin. And according to the law, if an inheritance had been lost, it was the right of the next of kin to redeem it. And our Lord Jesus exercised his legal rights. And this is what you're seeing him do in Revelation 5. He is actually exercising his legal rights as a kinsman. And seeing us sold into bondage and our inheritance taken away from us, he came forward to redeem both us and our lost estate. I want you to understand that at Calvary, he redeemed us. But we're seeing him in Revelation 5, claiming the lost estate that man had lost to restore it back to man again. So we are here in the very moment in time when God is doing something very spectacular, and that is he is restoring the lost estate that Adam lost back to man again. And he showed it here as he, as a man, is taking the book. He does not take it as almighty God, but he takes it as a man. A man. Only a man could do this. Someone of flesh and blood as we were. Amen. Man is sin and man, not God, not God, just a man could make reparations for those sins. Amen. The breach of law was caused by man and it must be repaired. Man had transgressed and man must be punished. No angel could have said, I will take this man's suffering. I will take mankind's punishment. Angelic sufferings could not make amends for human sins. Amen. God could not do it. This is one thing that God could not do. He could not make amends for human sins. Amen. He could not do it as almighty God. It would require a kinsman, someone kinfolk. So in order for God to do this, God would take on human flesh. He would strip out of heaven. He would leave the holy throne. He would walk out of his majestic garments and lay them aside and walk down among sinful men for the purpose to be your kinsman. God becoming kinfolk to you, being born uh, in the flesh like you're born in the flesh. So he could rebirth you from human back to God again. God left his throne to be born a man. And that man, Jesus, none other, was none other than Jehovah himself coming to be our Savior. The matchless one. The, the sinless man. The representative a man of, of right by kinfolks. 
Only he could be allowed to redeem. He stepped in and he, and he suffered that, that which was due and he made amends for man and thereby he set us free. I want you to understand it was God's design and God's great plan because he knew the heart of man and he knew that man would fall. He knew he could place him upon free moral agents and he would choose the wrong thing anyhow. But before, before sin ever entered the picture, he already was the redeemer. For he was that great lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world in the mind of God. He had planned it before the fall ever took place. Knowing that you would fall, he already had provided the way back. And he said, I am the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And in God's great mind, he stepped out of eternity there and played out what he had in his mind in flesh. Oh, this is wonderful. It is the man that we see. Oh, it is veiled symbolically as a lamb, but it is only representing the work of the Redeemer as the sacrifice. And, and it shows him as a man advocating for you. Amen. You know, again, to take and to loose the seals, he would have to be the advocate for all mankind. He would have to be the go-between between God and man. Because there was no man worthy and able to take the book and restore back the title of man's lost estate. Think of this. As we, as we look upon him this morning, look upon this scene, we see a man going forth to take the book and to loose his seals. Oh, if you're even a sinner today and far from God, I think it's wondrous that your approach to God is through the man Christ Jesus. For he would say himself, no one can come unto God, to the Father except by me. That he would be the means of the approach back to God. That he himself, when man lost the way, would become the way in order to approach God again and to come back into fellowship again. And you are not being called to come near a consuming fire that would wipe you out in an instance. You are not summoned to, to try and appease an angry God who has been so grievously offended. But there is a man ordained. A man who is the only mediator between God and man. And if you want to come to God, you must come through him. The man Christ Jesus. Satan has done everything that he can to discredit this man. To take away his advocacy. To reject him as intercessor. To say he no longer intercedes. But the very act of him taking the book of redemption is a part of his intercessory work. And it shows him as a great intercessor between God and man. When man couldn't go get the book and could not regain his lost the state. God came a man in order to pay the price of redemption. To approach God without Christ would be certain death and rejection. I want to say this. Even today, no man dare to approach God without Christ. 
For God, he will by no means spare the guilty. But oh, isn't it wonderful that we can look and see the Son of Man, one of our own race who became the Lamb for the sins of man to pay the penalty of sin. This one who is our king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who threw off his, his kingly robe and laid aside his crown and walked among us as our kinsman. When we look and we see and we get a view of him, give me a little more sound up here. And you get a, you get a view of him here in, in his earthly walk and how, what his attitude was toward the sick. What his attitude was to the lost. Amen. What moved him? He would constantly be moved to comp- with compassion. Are you with me? Amen. It was, it was no transient feeling. He still feels toward his offspring the same way. You can depend on it, church. Amen. You're coming to a compassionate God. A compassionate one who cares who sincerely cares about the suffering that you're going through or your lost sinful estate. Some of you are going around as it was through the air, head over heels, over heels, over heels, going there in a bottomless fall. And there is none that can help you. I cannot help you. A church cannot help you. Amen. Your mom and your dad cannot help you. Your nearest of friends cannot help you. The only one that can break that fall is him who can reach out a compassionate hand and break the fall of any sinner and put him on solid ground. The compassion of Jesus. No, it's not a changeable feeling. It's not transient. He still feels toward us the same as it was when he walked and he looked upon the blind staggering in darkness. And he looked upon blind men who were, were with compassion and, he, and were asking for mercy. And he touched their eyes and they could see. He looked upon a leper who said, Lord, if thou will, make me clean. And he said, I will be thou clean. It's the hope for every leprous sinner who is unclean, who who goes about the world with their mouth and face covered and screaming out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Oh, they may not do that naturally. Maybe they're haughty and think of themselves as great, but their life is absolutely ringing out. I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. And they get among the clean and they feel so unclean. And they feel a sense of rejection and distance. Somehow I just don't fit in. Somehow I'm just not accepted. Somehow because they're leprous with sin and their soul is screaming out, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. Amen. But oh, he looked upon a leper who come to him and said, oh, if thou will make me clean. And he quickly affirmed that was his will to make the leper clean. He looked upon the multitude who was 
and was concerned that they would faint upon the way and upon the road as they departed and he took fishes and loaves and fed 5,000 because his compassion moved him. It was said of the, of the Greek soldiers, I think they were Macedonians soldiers who were led by Alexander the Great. These men would march with forced marches and, 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 and they, they, they seemed to do it with, without fatigue, would move and go here and go there and go here and go there at the, at the whim of their, of their leader, Alexander the Great. And they seemed to go beyond the power of mortal endurance. But the reason of their untiring energy lay in the fact of Alexander's presence. You see, Alexander, though he was a king, he would walk with them. He would bear the same fatigue they went through. He was unlike the Persian monarchs who would be carried on a bier and, and, um, and, and there on a luxurious litter on their shoulders and, and be fed wine and, and, and choice foods as the men struggled. But Alexander the Great, the king, their king marched with them. He hungered like they hungered. He thirsted like they thirsted. It was said of him, he would often put aside the cup of water that was offered to him and pass it to a fellow soldier that looked more weary than himself. They, would, they wouldn't dream of slacking for their king. Walked among them. Their king was with them. It wasn't him just saying, go do this and go do this, but he was walking with them. And I want to just say today, we can surely bear the poverty, the slander, the contempt, or even the bodily pain because Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done it all for us. By his humiliation, we can count it all joy that we are looked down upon the world for his namesake. Amen. By the spittle that ran down his cheek, it is something of virtue, amen, to be a mockery now for him. By the buffeting and the blindfolding and the judgment hall, it's an honor to stand with him disgraced. While our world takes and scourges him and mocks him and crucifies him, we stand with him. Isaiah said, and a man shall be a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest. This is Isaiah 32 and 2. A man, a man shall be a hiding place. I want you to know this lamb that we're looking at is our hiding place. He is our covert, our shelter from the tempest. He is our rock in a weary land and our shelter in the time of storm. He is our kinsman. And we can shelter in his love and passion. Notice, it was 2,000 years ago that he paid for our sins and he sent back a deposit of the Holy Ghost, which is the earnest of our inheritance. You know, what time would fail us if we talked about 
why the lamb was slain, how the lamb was slain. There have been, we're, we're familiar with that story. We, we, many of you have seen even movies of the passion of Christ or you, you, you've seen uh, scenes of him mocked. You read it in the scripture. It's always a very difficult place for me when I read my Bible and go through the scriptures to have to go through that part. As I think of a man so kind, so wonderful, so compassionate, so moved by the Holy Spirit that he couldn't leave a blind eye unopened. He couldn't leave a lame with a, a, on his crutches but made him walk. He couldn't pass up a funeral possession without restoring a young boy back to his mother. And how could it be that he would be mocked and made fun of? Oh, yes, a, a robber, a criminal, someone deserving, yes. But how this? But now we look at a different scene. We look at a scene that is not preached on by the world. That will be hardly re referenced anywhere in denominational pulpits. Yeah, today they will preach about Christ and his sufferings on the cross. But there's very little being preached. Aware that he stood in the breach for us to take our inheritance back for us. And we read of what happened 2,000 years ago. And yes, there are those that are preaching and declaring and, 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 and sharing today of the, the wondrous experience of the upper room and how he came down like tongues of fire and, and how spread out there from there the gospel. But now we're here seven church ages later. And heaven is moving again. As by revelation, the lamb takes the book of our inheritance and he looses the seals. It was at Calvary we were redeemed. But now the lamb moves in heaven. It's not to pay for the price of our sins. For our soul's salvation. That was done at Calvary. He paid and died once and for all. He need not die again and again and offer himself as a sacrifice over and over and over. His one death was sufficient for all. But now, again, here we're looking at now seven church ages later. Heaven moves as by revelation. Now remember, it's always first by Revelation, first it was in symbol, John saw it, then it would be by revelation to a prophet, and then it will finally be manifested in a literal format. Amen. Now, as we, as we see this, the Lamb takes the book of our inheritance and looses the seals. We were redeemed at Calvary, but now... Here we see the lamb continuing in his intercessory work. Now, you say, oh, Brother Jim, it all stopped when he took the book. It did not because he continues right on with the Jews. And in the, in the book of Revelation, he is the lamb there among the 144,000. 
Amen. All redemption may come and does come to a point where it's over for the Gentiles, but it continues right on with the Lamb among the 144,000. And his redemption work as he fills them with the Holy Spirit and they are sealed. But I want you to look at this. But to take this book of our lost estate to redeem back to man everything Adam lost, it was not accomplished at Calvary. It was just the it was just started the process. And this act of the taking of the book of title to our lost estate. Brother Branham would say it is the most sublime, the most awesome, majestic, most glorious, rapturous act in all the scripture. I don't know what you look at when you look at Revelation 5, but this is, this is what Brother Branham, how he viewed it. He said it's the most sublime act. It's the most majestic, glorious, rapturous, awesome in all the scripture. Amen. To do it, the lamb had to take the book of title from the one on the throne. And since it is closed and sealed, remove its seals. And to do that, he must take his blood because the debts can only be paid for by lamb's blood. And he must erase the debts of sin that has kept the book of inheritance closed to man. The same blood that cleansed your soul must now cleanse the debts on the book. Now, where are we standing? Where has God positioned us in this time? What has the blood done for us when a bloody lamb steps forth to take the book and loose its seals and confers the title to the earth upon us? Because I want you to understand that we, we are in a time where we stand exactly like they did in the book of Acts. When they received the cleared deed. Are you with me? Amen. When their deed was cleared and there on the day of Pentecost, they went out speaking in all languages the wondrous works of God. They would be heard in all nations under heaven. And we come again to the last days where the Bible prophesies this happens again. For in Revelation 10, 7, again we see Christ, the mighty angel, coming down, putting his land, his foot upon the land and on the sea. And there, when he cries, when he shouts, when he begins this process, amen, a prophet sounds, and he begins to sound his message, and the seven thunders of Revelation 10 are revealed, which are the mysteries contained in the seven seals. Amen, because what you are seeing is in the invisible realm. There's something that is happening that is beyond the, uh, the naked eye, but Revelation 5 catches a glimpse of it. And Revelation 10 also, also emboldens that glimpse or enhances that glimpse where we can see the same book that could not be looked upon is now looked upon those that was once considered unworthy to look upon it. 
And we see again uh, the mighty angel coming down just as the day of Pentecost, the mighty angel, the pillar of fire comes down and he separates himself. And now he comes upon every individual. He begins to anoint men and women and they begin to proclaim the wondrous works of God in every language. And then we see in Revelation 10, the mighty angel coming down. If, if I can use Brother Branham's words for it, he would say it like this. He said, and when he took and he opened the seals, he handed him down to the seventh angel on earth. I want you to notice it did not, it did not, it did not stay in the heavens, but the receipt of that. The receipt of the paid debts were sent down. What the white horse had done, the red horse, the black, the pale, the things that had sealed the book to, from the people and kept our inheritance closed where we could not even read it. If you notice in the Bible, no man could look or read it. Amen. But I want you to know you are men and women today who are able to look and read it. You read it and you know who the white horse is. You read it and you know who the pale horse is. You read it and you know the souls under the altar. You read it and you know what the seventh seal is, that God has broke the silence and it's initiated his coming in this last day. And as he does, the prayers... The prayers that have been stored up that is seen in Revelation 5, that the, that the elders were representative of all of the, of the saints of all ages, that the elders are holding in there the, 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 the prayers of the saints. And in Revelation, in the seventh seal, they are poured out. Because why? Prayers that have been held up for his coming. He's had to put them on the back burner. I can't do it yet. In this first stage, there's six more to come. I can't do it in the, in, in, in the second age. There's five more to come. If I would answer these prayers now, there'd be many in the book that wouldn't be redeemed. And they're in my mind. They were part of me. And I cannot stop it. I must continue redemption. But when it becomes time, the prayers are poured out upon the altar and mixed with the incense and comes up before God and God begins to respond with thunderings on the earth as a prophet begins to interpret the symbols of the seals by revelation handed down from the, and brought down by the mighty angel. Now, but that's not all of it. Come on, but then there is a people that is commanded to take the book. Not lose its seals, it's open. But to eat the book. And to become one with that book. And when they come one, speak. Prophesy again, just like they prophesied in the book of Acts. Hallelujah. I want you to see something, that the prophecy of the book of Acts 
It was put on hold for seven ages, but it continues in the last day under the anointing of the mighty angel. And there are people in this last day who are anointed to become one with that word and prophesy it to every nation, kindred, tongue, and tribe and people. Where are we standing? Where has God positioned us now? What has the blood done for us when a bloody lamb stepped forth to take the book and loose its seals and then begins to confer the title, the title to the earth upon us? Amen. I want you to get it just a moment. Because not on, in this book, of course, is... The, the understanding, the revelation, as, as he writes out his will for the people in the title, to my beloved children. You are not, you have not just come into existence in this last day, but know you existed with me before the foundation of the world. And I'm addressing you not as a temporary people, but a people of eternal who have, that, that to this elect has an eternal quality. That you have been chosen in me before the world began. And he begins to write it out and, and tell you what your name is and what the family name is. And it is not under Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ of whom all heaven and earth is named. And it begins to reveal and show. See, here's what happened at the beginning. And he shows you the old serpent, the villain from the beginning, and how he deceived. And the deception that has happened, the deception in the first stage, and, and on and on and on down. But yet where God brings it back, the entire circle again. And we're living in a time where we're not walking out of Eden, but we're a people who are walking back into Eden. This brings us back to where Adam was before the fall and to where the church was in those brief moments in the book of Acts. What happened in the beginning in Genesis? It started out with Adam having power of, trans, of creation as a manifested Messiah. What was the church in the book of Acts when their deed was cleared? They controlled nature. They healed the sick. They made the lame walk. Amen. They, they, they exposed sin. They were so close to the chase from mortal to immortality. Till it began to be the mystery being revealed. He said, there's a mystery in here. And beloved, I show you a mystery. It's got to end up the same way as we close out the ages. With manifested messiahs who are the sons of God on display. This is exactly what is shown in Revelation 10. Sons and daughters of God on display. It cannot be manifested sons unless they're revealed sons. Sons who are showing and manifesting what, what, who they are and, and their sonship. It's got to end up the same way. This is 
This is what Brother Branham would say over and over and over again about display in the token. The token must be on display. Amen. And display and it changes your life. It makes you live right. It talks right. But it also heals and delivers and sets free. It's the token on display. And Brother Branham would tell us in order to escape the death angel that is coming, it must be on display. Look back at the beginning. Adam stood as the son of God. He controlled nature. But when sin entered the picture, it put a breach, a chasm between God and man. And mankind has went on a long journey all the way from Eden. He went on a long journey until finally the promised seed came. The one we're talking about, the woman's seed who had bruised the head of the serpent. And, and until, and we'd go on this long journey with a chasm between man and God until the second Adam came that would undo what sin had done. In Eden, Adam was a miniature creator. Adam had dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air. He was in fellowship with God. Amen. Amen. He had direct asset, access to the throne room. Right. He created an atmosphere of a millennium everywhere that he was or everywhere he went upon the earth. The birds, the mammals, the crocodiles were all subject to him. Amen. Amen. Nothing would hurt or destroy in all of God's holy Eden before the fall. Adam was in a position of sonship as a son of God, and he operated by faith with the power and authority of heaven behind him. I mean, he spoke and trees moved. He commanded and winds obeyed. He exercised his rights over animals and called them by name. When man sinned, he forfeited his sonship to become a slave. And instead of now becoming Lord over creation, he becomes a slave to the very creation that he once controlled. The winds, the waves, the, the, the tumultuous seas, the problem, nothing now was under his command. He, he would lose power. He would become subject to, to adversity. He would have to fear the wild animals. You know, he, he would... He would now, instead of ruling by faith in God's word, he would have to rule by his five senses, using the five, uh, the five outlets of, this, of his spirit of memory and imagination and conscience and affection and reasoning. With his superior mind, he could capture animals and subdue them. He could harness the energy of a horse for his own profit. He could enslave an animal for its wool and its meat and its milk. Before the, before the fall, Adam could walk freely into God's presence. And he would literally bring heaven down. A millennium condition was upon the earth. But after the fall, there was this distance between God and man. And this distance was like a huge, deep, wide chasm. So deep you could never climb over it. So wide you couldn't see across it. 
and man had sinned and put that great chasm between him and God. And, oh, and it was a chasm that he could not cross over by himself. He was absolutely, totally lost and without a way back. And when man couldn't come to God, God being determined to save man, he himself breeds the chasm. And he came in the likeness of human flesh. And, and through his blood, he made a way for those who were born in sin to be born again. Every one of us were born wrong the first time. Therefore, we had to be born again. Amen. It would be the second birth that would, that would breed out all the call. Amen. No matter what our mother did or our daddy did it or grandparents did it or whatever, it would breed it all out. Hallelujah. We'd get a whole new set of genealogy. We, we would be a part of a whole new race. It would not be another man's race, but it would be the God race. Are you with me? Amen. There at Pentecost, man and God were reconciled. Amen. They had the contents of the book. Brother Branham would tell us there, it was actually at the River Jordan that he would, he would specifically say, when Jesus walked out into the river, bringing that cursed flesh obedient to the Word of God and making it obey God, he would say, from this part, I will redeem this part, and from this part, I will redeem the rest. Amen. Now then, here he would hear heaven and earth would be reconciled because God and man would now be united together in the man, Christ Jesus. But he wasn't happy just to have that for himself. He wanted many sons. He had you in mind. You wonder how did he bear the cross of Calvary? Let me tell you, friends, you know, he didn't just have imaginations at Calvary. He actually, at Gethsemane, he actually knew what was going to happen. He knew what he would suffer. He would know the rejection that's being spit upon. He would know, he would know the crucifixion and the pain thereof. And he would shudder at his thoughts and as even as a human he would say let it pass from me but he yielded up his own human desires to desire of God and said nevertheless not my will but thy will be done that song says he knew me yet he loved me he whose glory makes the heavens to shine. So unworthy of such mercy. But when he was on the cross, we were on his mind. The Bible said that looking toward the goal to what he would receive, he bore the shame. He experienced the agony in order that he could have a family. That he could be kinfolk to you and pay that price of redemption and bear the debt that he did not owe and pay it on your behalf. Amen. 
There at, at Pentecost, we see this oneness continuing. Here, not, not, not just Jesus, the sinless one, and God reconciled in a man, but now, now then, at Pentecost, man and God was reconciled. Here they were enjoying the contents or the fruits of the book. They had power of sonship as sons of the book. Amen. Amen. Oh, think of this. We, we, we're preaching about the people of the book. This is what we're talking about. We're people of this book. This is our inheritance. This is our promise. This is a land that he has brought a people to. Where we stand today on the other side of Jordan. Are you with me? Into the third pull of the Holy Ghost. Into the power of the promise. They had power as sons of the book. Would you stop and realize where we are in time? Look where we're standing on the threshold of redemption. For thousands of years, the book of title that Adam lost has remained in the hand of God. But in this day, hallelujah, there's been a change as a man who is declared worthy. Amen. To take the book out of the hand of him that sat on the throne. Notice he had to take it back. But the book was closed and sealed with seven seals. There was a breach that had put the, the church ages out of reach of the book of title until we come to the last days. And then the worthy lamb, the man Christ Jesus, stands in the gap. Notice he stands to take the book. This is exactly reminiscent of, of Daniel chapter 12, 1. And Michael stood for the children of his people. I want you to know when the Bible said when this happened, that the name, those whose names was in the book, was delivered. They were delivered and there was a resurrection. This is the hour that we're living in. Well, that a people whose names are in the book will be delivered. And a resurrection of all the names of all the saints that has went down through Pentecost from Pentecost till now will raise again. The man Christ Jesus stood in the gap in the breach that could take and could take the, the book and loose its seals in order to restore the book of title to God's people. Revelation 5 shows him taking it. Revelation 10 shows him giving it. The truths of God's word that were closed to man. Truths such as original sin. Well, you know, that revelation alone explains and, and, and makes you to understand the virgin birth. That revelation alone makes you to understand the sin in the garden and why we needed a redeemer. Amen. There again, baptism in Jesus' name. One God, predestination. They were all sealed up. Oh, yeah, men proved at it. They got some things right or part right, but none could cross the chasm. Amen. This was not... 
This was not so in the days of the early church or in the days of Peter and Paul. Jesus had cleared the deed. He had paid the debt in full. He had so cleared, so cleared was the deed that there was not one soul left in Abraham's bosom. In that place called paradise, the, deed, the deeds of all the Old Testament saints were cleared. Truths that were shut off from man were revealed as Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies. The book was totally open to them with its power. Silver and gold have I none, but I got something better than silver and gold. Miracles happened. The sick were laid in the shadow of Peter where his shadow would pass over them and demons fled and left at the mere presence of these sons of God. Amen. I want you to know they did not just have doctrine. Amen. There was power released with that doctrine. You cannot have true doctrine and not have the power. Angels came to prison, let the disciples free. Paul would get to looking in the book and show predestination, the true eternal security. Peter would point out uh, the, the key that would unlock, unlock many things and preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost from an open book saying, this is that. No wonder would we have to wonder about Joel too. We would know this is that. We were spoken of by the, by the, the, the prophets. They would stand on the edge of the full promise and begin to declare we which are alive and remain. But then as the serpent beguiled Eve, now we see a replay of what happened to the natural man and natural Eve now beginning to happen to spiritual Eve. <laughs> It wasn't long. Oh, this is a heartbreak to today. It wasn't long until the devil got in the book of Acts church. He wanted to present a gospel that was more pleasant to the eye. More acceptable. Brother Branham would tell us in the second seal, he said the way that the devil got in the book of Acts church was that he began to say, I get there where the peasants, they're witness to their masters who were wealthy and so on. And they would come to meetings and they would say, but we need, we need to kind of dress this up, you know, so I, I bring my friends. They look at this low down bunch of slaves and whatever. Let's kind of dress it up. You know, that, that, that bunch of shouting and speaking in tongues and, and prophesying bunch. We kind of got that to settle down a little bit and have a little more dignity about it. We've heard that same hiss of Satan try to come and talk to this bride in this last day. And Satan beguiled her. And instead of bringing children by the birth of the word, they begin to bring forth children of the church. And notice, instead of being named and, and even baptized after their, of their father, they began to take on the name of the mother. And became Methodist and Baptist and Presbyterian. 
And sadly today, they try to take on the name of message. As if there's any saving qualities in that name. And he beguiled her. Brought forth children not of Christ. As Brother Brandon would say, Jesus came to his church and found her pregnant with a seed of man. And for seven long ages, now we've been on a journey. Just as the Old Testament had its long ages of the Exodus, the judges, the kings, and the prophets, until finally there came a lamb who could cross the breach and clear the deed. Think of this. The breach itself, as Brother Branham called it, was a breach between the church ages and the seals. It was, it was a, a breach is a chasm, a chasm that could not be crossed. And, and even this book that was sealed with seven seals and seven thunders uttered their voices, making known the mysteries were sealed up. And it couldn't be crossed in any other age. I want you to realize you're living in a wonderful hour and a wonderful time. As we can say, there's never been a day like this one. It's an hour of restoration. It's an hour of going from time back into eternity. It's an hour there where the the book is is being transferred back. Finally, a lamb that had been slain. A lamb that had been slain 2,000 years ago claimed now what Adam lost and removed from the book of title its seals that had held it shut. Seals that had kept God's people from coming to a full inheritance. And this released the Holy Spirit in fullness Back to the church Amen. that had been bound right. and been sealed by denominational rivers, waters, multitudes of people, right. and their ideas, and myriads of books, and myriads of, of teachings, and myriads of understanding. Now sealed and close the book. Amen. Amen. That's right. Amen. But finally, there came a lamb, the slain lamb, not a new lamb, not a new atonement. The same atonement. The same Holy Ghost. The same power. Amen. Unlooses the seals. To bring an unsealed book, the title back to man again. Your inheritance. Your title to a new body. Your title to divine healing. Your title to the earnest of your inheritance, the Holy Ghost. Your title to every divine promise. Hallelujah. Amen. A people of the restored faith. That's where I'm we're standing. We're a people of the restored faith. Not a new book of Acts, but 
a continuation of the book of Acts. Christ in the true church is a continuation of the book of Acts. And I want to just tell you where we're standing. It is now time to continue to write the final chapter. Hallelujah, to write the final chapters of the book of Acts of the Holy Ghost where he would act in man. A people of the restored faith. But you see, sadly, as the serpent beguiled Eve, so did the, the serpent beguile the early church. And the book became closed to man and, and sealed and locked up its truths and its power. And it set the church wandering on a long journey until the time of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord, a time of restoration. Yes, it's said in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he preaches, come that preaches another Jesus who would not preach or receive another spirit which you have not received or, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might bear well with him. So you see, like Eve who could not wait for the promise to be fulfilled or be fruitful and multiply, she instead got in a hurry. Remember what she did? She crossed her, her seed. She mingled it with the serpent seed. And when she did, it brought forth a child of death. And when the, when the church of Jesus Christ was perverted in the time of Rome, after a virgin birth and was given to Christ at Pentecost, what did she do? She crossed herself with Roman dogma. And the Protestant church did the same thing. That's why they're called in the Bible whores and harlots. Amen. But I want you to, want you to know God will not fail. Amen. No, sir. He said, I'll have a church and she will be without spot or wrinkle. Amen. But to do so, it takes a restoration. And that's why the message of restoration is so vitally important. And a mystery. A mystery is not restored if its power still remains unlocked. I said a mouthful right there. But I want, you to, I want you to take note of this. A mystery is not restored if its power still remains unlocked. You're only reading what's on the outside of the seal. You're not experiencing the power that is in the deed. And that's exactly what is wrong with, the, with the, many of the message churches today is they're claiming the mysteries have been revealed, but they know nothing of its power. Amen. And a mystery is not restored if its, if its power still remains unlocked. To restore the mysteries is to return the power of it. To the church. Amen. So many have tasted the, the knowledge of the mystery 
and yet know nothing of its power. When its power is known, sin and unbelief looses its hold. Did you hear me? Amen. Amen. But you see, again, Brother Brandon said it is a fact. This is Laodicean church. It is a fact that the prophet for the last day must be bringing forth a message from God that will forerun the second coming of the Lord. For by his message will the hearts of the children be turned back to the Pentecostal fathers and with the restoration of the word will come the restoration of the power. So you cannot say because they know the mechanics of a mystery unless the dynamics of it is there, you have not received this mystery. And it has not released its power. How many have a knowledge of the mystery of the new birth but have experienced nothing of its power? In the future home, Brother Bradham would talk about that. Let me deviate just a moment. As one of our themes is always about the new birth and you must be born again. And against this easy believism that bursts you into just another denominational child. And that's what we got today in the message today is denominational children who don't know who their father is. That's why you got all of these different doctrines and thoughts and everything else is because they don't know the fatherhood of the word. Are you with me? But Brother Brandon said in the future home, he said just like all the curse of sin is gone when the Holy Ghost accepts you. Amen. You know, again, we, we got all of the, I accept Christ as my personal Savior. That's good. But what about him? The Holy Ghost must accept you. Amen. Are you with me? Amen. You say, well, Brother Tim, I, I, I told you, I, I, I've done everything. If he has not accepted you, there's still somewhere you haven't died to sin. Amen. Because when you be, when you die to sin, he will accept you. Amen. 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 See, you don't accept it. Let me just go back so you get the entirety of this quote. Just like all the curse of sin is gone, when the Holy Ghost accepts you, see, you don't accept it. It accepts you because it's God's attribute. See, the Holy Ghost means God's spirit is the attribute. The thought of God has accepted you because you were ordained for that purpose. When the Holy Ghost comes, it's simply the thought that God had of you and you and time coming together. Amen. Will you recognize I came from God? I'm going back to God. Amen. He's my father. Yet you were born in sin, but God had that attribute. And here you expressed yourself on earth, and he comes down and gets you. And you're back here. Here's where you belong. But see, sin has lost its power. That's right. The desire of sin has gone from your heart. When the Holy Spirit comes in, you are a restored person. Hallelujah. Amen. So if you're restored, you know of its power. It's a power of deliverance. It's a power of victory. It's a power there that you have over the flesh, over sin, over evil. 
Oh, brother, get this baptism of the Holy Ghost. When God accepts you and sin loses its power and sin desire is gone from your heart and you walk now, not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I don't care if you have to boo-hoo and snot at an altar and roll on the floor in agony. You stay there until your life is declaring the wonderful works of God. We're at an end time. Here we are walking back into Eden. Restoration will be complete when our bodies are changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now, that's for us. The earth will go on in this process of restoration. But that's what we need a renewing for. To awaken our faith to the reality of God. This is exactly the purpose of Malachi 4 was to turn your heart back to believing. And Brother Branham would say, we find out that we're missing something in our churches. And that is the power of Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, I I wanted to say, we're not maybe missing great preachers. We're not missing maybe great theology. We're not missing great doctrines. But we're missing the power of it. And that's what's missing in our homes. Amen. There's no power over the flesh. That's what's missing in people's individual lives. That's why porn sites are being visited. Among those who call themselves believers. This is why adulteries and fornication are taking place even in the pulpit. And I'll tell you why we're missing something is because too often pastors are still preaching reformation instead of restoration. But we are not in the time of reformation. When we're trying to reform, where men and women are getting reformed, that would only produce another organizational child. Amen. But this is where that we are being, we are being transformed. Amen. By what? A, a complete restoration. And it doesn't produce a denominational child, but a restored son with power. Amen. Denominational children. They always have to be reformed by constant preaching against the sins of the flesh. Over and over and over. You hear it from over and over. The sins of the flesh and your 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 flesh. And and there are attempts to reform you. You know, in the future home, Brother Bradham drew a human heart with a snake in it. And the fruits of it on the outside that showed up in a person's life of malice and hatred and evil... But it was all caused by this root of sin nature. Said it would be this serpent here. That was coming out from him. And he he would explain there that to come to Christ and ask for forgiveness of your sin would simply wipe away your past deeds. But it it doesn't deal with sin nature. Amen. Amen. That old root of evil is still there. And then you repent and you get baptized in Jesus' name that he forgave you of sins. And, and, and that repentance and that ushering in and that baptism accepts you into a body of believers and the fellowship of believers. But I want you to think of it. It only makes you like a Jew in the Old Testament. 
where your sins pass are placed upon the lamb and the lamb is put into death in your place but the root of sin that made you sin is still there this was a condition of the old testament wasn't they didn't have a lamb it wasn't that the blood would not blot out their transgression it was that it had never came into the soul and they would be born of that blood. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Amen. Because I, I want you to understand, friend, this reforming won't ever get us anywhere. I can preach this and preach that and tell you this is wrong and that's wrong. And it condemns you and tells you you need Jesus and you come and you repent and, and you ask forgiveness and, and so on. But unless there's an inside change. Unless old sin nature dies out, he will come again and just put more marks against you and bring an evil testimony upon the church of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Amen. But I want you to hear this. In Romans, in Romans, um, in Romans uh, 8, 11, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, It'll make alive because he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also make alive your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. Mm -hmm. Amen. What? Your body made alive by the spirit. Oh, you say, Brother Tim, that's future. No, that's when the Holy Ghost comes in. Amen. Sure, in the future, he'll quicken it. He'll make it alive. He'll raise it up from the dead. He'll take it from a pile of ashes and make a, a full a, a person out of you again. Sure, it will. Amen. But right now, if the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, if that Holy Ghost dwells in you, it will make alive your mortal body. It'll bring it in subjection. Oh, yeah. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. We don't owe our flesh nothing. It has no control over it, and it's not to rule over us. Amen. But listen here. For you, if you live at the Spirit, you shall, or after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And the, the Spirit's indwelling will kill. Mortify the deeds of your flesh. Amen. Absolutely. If you ever get that man or woman converted, you don't have to worry about the deeds of the flesh. Oh, yeah. Amen. Romans 8 1 said, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. People who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. The message token, Brother Brandon said it this way. There it is. It cannot perish now. The life lays over it. It's a token. It lays upon the soul of that person. There is a token over there, in other words, over the soul, upon the soul, the Holy Spirit that belongs to God, it's his. 
When I see the token, I'll pass over you. A positive token. The Holy Spirit is our token. Therefore, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you have passed from death unto life. That's all there is to it because there's a life in you and you can no more perish. The Bible said he that's born of God does not commit sin for he cannot sin. For the seed of God, amen, the seed of God remains in him. And how can he sin when the sinless God is in him? When he's in a sinless God, how can he sin? No matter what he's done, the blood's covered him. He's a new creature now. His desires and ambition is of heaven because he's changed from a cucklebur to a wheat. His desires is not the same as it was that once was, and he displays it. You say, oh, I believe that and still sinning? No, you're deceived. It can't display nothing but the token. Hallelujah. We're talking about manifested sons of God. Sons of God on display who are displaying nothing but the token. But you say, Brother Tim, it's my flesh. My flesh is my flesh is out, out of control. It's unconverted and it's an animal and I just can't make it do right. My soul's right, but I just can't live the life. And this is a cry of every denominational Christian there is. We just don't have the power to live it. We know what's right, but we can't do it. You see, they're preaching, yeah, they're preaching about a revelation, a mystery of a new birth without its power. And the mystery is not known until the power is known. Amen. Calling Jesus on the scene, Brother Branham said, now remember, he created our bodies and won't our body have to obey him? Amen, you surrender your thoughts to him, surrender your life to him, surrender your faith to him. What's that body obey what he says? Then he explains, if you're a drunkard and you can't quit drinking, surrender that life to him and watch, you'll drink no more. If you're a habitual smoker and tried to give it up and can't do it, just surrender that to him and watch what happens. He'll make that body come back in subjection to the word. You've got to surrender it to him. You've got to believe him. He, he made our bodies. They obey his will also. Do you believe that? If you're a Christian, you have to. You say, he makes our body obey? Oh, I believe we have jurisdiction over that. Sounds like a lot of these girls on Facebook or some of these things are going out. You know, well, it's my body. I, you know, they, they, uh, you know they, this, this baby, it's, it has no business here. I can kill it anytime I want. It's my body. It's not your body. It's a life. Amen. Amen. And besides, you said, well, we have a choice. Yes, you did. You already had your choice. You made the wrong choice. Amen. But, you know, again, he makes, he said, oh, I believe we got jurisdiction over that. He said, then you're not fully surrendered. You're not, for you're not your own. You're dead. You yourself are dead and your life is hid in God through Christ and sealed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. How are you going to get away from that? I think we need revival. Our lives are dead. We are dead. Your own thoughts, you think pure thoughts, the most worldly thoughts that lead you off, you're dead to that. And your life is hid in God through Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
What a position. What a secure. Oh my, how long to the next revival until the day of your redemption? You say, Brother, Brother Tim, you mean I no longer have a wrong thought? Yeah, you get wrong thoughts, but you quickly throw them out. Amen. Because why? The Holy Spirit is there to convince you of sin. Amen. You're sealed to the day of redemption. That is a secure feeling. Such a restoration. The Holy Spirit with complete control. Sin nature gone. Until a people becomes positioned like Adam at the beginning with sin dealt with and conquered and speak the word with creative power. Remember, this is where Adam was before the fall. He spoke the word with creative power. Amen. This is the restoration power of the blood. It is bringing the people back with the Holy Spirit with supreme control and sin nature gone until we are positioned like Adam was in the beginning. Words. I want you to think of this. Words with creative power save 120 in the upper room and anointed Peter to preach and 3,000 were added. Words with creative power raised a cripple to his feet. The word was open and was bringing past visions, voices, God speaking, a nearness, no chasm. Now listen, church, I, I want to get something to you because, you know, we, we got the word, but do we realize why the word was written? Brother Branham would would quote the scripture. Jesus said, if you say to this mountain, be moved and don't doubt in your heart, but believe what you said will come to pass. You can have what you say. Now I've said it, let it be done. It is written to be spoken. And I have spoken, let it be done. The word is written. To be spoken. This operation of the word spoken power is all made possible because of the blood cleansing. Cleansing us from the sin of Adam. This lamb was a slain lamb. But it was also a resurrected lamb. And indeed he paid for the soul's redemption at Calvary once and for all. He resurrected and ascended, but in the last day, he advances to take the title of inheritance that he has paid for. Amen. He paid for you at Calvary, but now he claims your inheritance in this last day. Amen. Listen, he's about to do it, friends. The dead in Christ have had their sins forgiven. How many believes that? Those that are dead in Christ have had their sins forgiven. They wait in that great holding place of paradise. Amen. They are at rest, but they still long. They are still longing to come back to earth and exchange their theophany bodies for glorified ones. So they can join the living at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
Think of that. And in the last days, the lamb advances forth in revelation to release to the church the lost inheritance containing the word and his power that was lost in the first age. And Brother Branham called, he refers to this as the bleach. Now we're getting into the power. Amen. We see the intercessor. We see what he did in his work. We see he was a man. We see he goes forward to take the book of title. But I want you to understand a little bit of the power of his blood. Because you see, this work in Revelation 5 is advancing the power of the blood. The power of the kinsman redeemer to go beyond just the redeeming of our souls. I mean, we ought to be happy with the redeeming of our souls. When we die, we don't go to hell. Amen. We go into a place of rest. When we commit our loved one into the ground, we can all rejoice in a way and say, oh, wonderful, they're in a place of the beloved, in the place of rest. But, oh, church, that is not all of Christianity. That is not our only promise. But there is a greater promise than that. And that is that the lost inheritance of our immortality will return to a people in this last day. And I want you to know that there's an anointing that has come down that is issuing that revelation, that mystery to a church. But it's not going to be just the mystery, but the power of it. Because it'll quicken your immortal body. Brother Branham explained it this way, the bleach. And he would tell what the power of the blood would do. He said it's like a Clorox. And he said, you take your uh, drop of ink, put it into a a tub of Clorox. And he said, the coloring of that ink begins to spin around in that that Clorox. First thing that it does when it hits the Clorox, the chemical of that is more powerful than the ink. And it begins to change it until you can't even see even a vapor of that, of that ink left. Amen. It's gone. It all becomes a part of the bleach. And that's exactly how the blood of Jesus Christ does to sin. The blood of Jesus. Amen. It, you confess your sins upon the blood of Jesus and, and it emits, it puts in the sea of forgiveness it puts it in the, in the container of bleach and it's never to be remembered again. Amen. So where is the church today, Brother Branham asked? Brethren, if we're born to be sons of God, where do we stand? He's trying to tell us we're sinless. Satan has no claim on us. We're sons of God. We're recognized as sons. Amen. Jesus said, and this is way he, he, where he told us where we're standing. He said, Jesus himself said, if your own law said you're God's amateur, God's would control the earth. He, call, he said, if you call those gods who the word of God came to, which was the prophets, the word the Lord comes to the prophet, and you call them gods, how can you condemn me when I'm say I'm the son of God? What has the bleach done then? 
It's returned of men and women back to the state of Godship again. Amen. You're old race. You're no more of it. You're of a new race. Hallelujah. And you're born now of the the blood of God. Hallelujah. You're not anymore your own. You're not just human anymore. You're born again. Son or daughter of God with a claim on immortality and a deposit within you that your body is going to change that will match the soul within you. Think of that. God's offsprings of himself, sons of God, under the blood, born of the blood. Would you get the thought? You know, sometimes we look at songs like, you know, oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows in my vein. Of course, that's nonsense if he's talking about your flesh. Of course, that's nonsense if you're talking about the human blood of Jesus. But that's not, that, that's not what we're saved by. We're saved by the blood of God, not human blood. It was God's blood that was shed. How did he get that blood? You say he was full of human blood. Well, he wasn't Mary, he wasn't Joseph, so what human gave him the blood? Come on. Amen. He was of the blood sailed by creation. Amen. By the word, the spoken word, the original seed. And there at Calvary, the blood cell broke open and released the life of it, and it came back on the day of Pentecost. And what you are seeing there come down on the day of Pentecost was the life that was in the blood. The spirit that was in the blood, the blood came down on the day of Pentecost. And when they were filled with the spirit, they were born of the blood of God. The Bible tells you this. In John chapter 1, he said, who was born, not of the will of flesh, but of God. Is that right? This is it. It's not a rebirth by the will of flesh. It is, it is born the way you should have been at the beginning. And it ain't flowing through the veins, through these, these veins of this corporal body. It's flowing through the veins of your, of your, by the Holy Spirit of your soul. And it reaches out and it brings your whole body under control of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm talking about a blessed thing, friend, that we are men and women born of the blood of God. That God is our Father. If the blood of bulls and goats now could give the power to Moses to go out there by commission of God and stretch forth that rod and say, let there come flies, then how much more can sons that are born of the blood of God? Moses wasn't, but you are. Come on, church. Moses was a fallen son, but you're not. You are a redeemed son. I'm talking about where you are standing. I'm talking about the power of this blood. It didn't just cleanse your sins and remove them from it. 
it change your nature and put in you a new nature with a new life. Amen. And that Holy Spirit is the blood of God inside of you. And you were born of the blood of God. You're kin folks. This is why he can take you for a bride. Because he must get a woman of his kin folks. Someone that is born of him has the same life, the same life blood. This was showing that if the blood of bulls and goats, Brother Branham would use this for example. He said, if, if, if just a type, if just a type and the blood of bulls and goats could so cleanse a man and temporarily put on a man that he, he would lift later and he would go out and do other things, but, but it would put a man on speaking terms. What can the blood of the real lamb do? And he would say, what's the matter with the church today? There's something wrong. And he said, my opinion, we're not coming with that sincerity to the right thing for that. For if God could do that by the blood of bulls and goats and that only covered sin and made a perpetuation for the sinner, but the sin was still there, only covered over, what can he do to the blood of his son that omits sin? You see, this is way beyond the little nice slogans. That's right. of, you know, that I'm justified just as if I'd never done it. Because you know you did it. Right. That's it. Amen. This is way beyond just as if I'd have never done it. Because you did it. But this justification justifies you because it's not looking at your human birth and your human past. It's not taking an account your life as a human. It is taking an account the birth of a son of God and you cannot attribute sin to a son of God. Because he that's born of God cannot commit sin for the seed of God remains in him. And it isn't just as if I'd never done it. It is I never did it in the first place. Therefore, I stand redeemed. Therefore, I stand sinless. Therefore, I, because of a new birth and the old man is dead. Amen. The man you're talking about, devil, I ain't him no more. who you're looking for but that man's dead and I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus and this one never did it in the first place there's never nothing in the memory of God that could ever come up and say oh oh he did this he did that and that's why I can't honor his word but God says uh uh I can put in him the power of creation because he's my son And sons come back to the place of eating the book and prophesying again 
as they prophesied on the day of Pentecost. But he said, what's the matter? We're not coming with sincerity. We're not realizing. We're not comprehending. We're not, we, we, we're not realizing the power of where we have been placed. You see, this puts us back in authority as Adam in the beginning, operating as sons with full authority. Brother Branham would go on and out in the message of God hiding himself in simplicity. You ought to go listen to it. Everybody ought to make that your homework this week. The one in Albuquerque. Brother Branham speaks and says in Mark eleven twenty four, whatever you say to this mountain, move. And don't doubt in your heart, but believe what you said will come to pass. You can have what you said. Where is the Pentecostal church at today? Amen. You don't realize that confess truly, uh, confess sins, admit sin. There's no omit to it. And he said it builds a bridge that takes man back in the presence of his creator and makes him a son of God. Amen. And then he talks about the chasm is completely gone. There's not even remembrance that there ever was a chasm. God don't ever remember that you were ever estranged from him because you wasn't. You were always his son. And this son that he had in his mind was his born. He was born of the spirit. He was born of God's blood. And the devil has no claim on him. I'm talking to a people today that ought to be able to look at it and say, the devil has no claim on me. Amen. Whatsoever he has no claim. God taking a humble sinner and cleansing him by his blood and and dropping that confessed sin into that Clorox bleach of the blood of the Son of God and putting his own life in him into that man by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Then we have the genuine baptism of the Holy Ghost. What's wrong with us? Amen. When the type, when Elijah dropped the robe for Elisha, he got a double portion of it. And Jesus said, the works that I do, you shall do also. And greater than this shall you do, for I go to my Father. What's wrong, church? Now he said, you called us a belt above of visions and things like that. Get off my back. Brother, get down to the cross. Get to the gospel. We don't have to impersonate. Why would you take an impersonation? Why would you take a false conception of it when the, the skies are full of the genuine Pentecostal power that makes a man or woman a son or daughter of God that takes him back in the presence of God? Amen. There you are, God revealing himself in humility. But you've got to get away from your own thoughts. You've got to let the mind that was in Christ be in you. You've got to stay there till every sin of fear and uh, of doubt is gone from your heart. And if you're there and God doesn't take you and admit your sins and send you in the presence of God, there's something wrong with your experience. <laughs> he said, I don't care how many degrees of doctor bear with me as I share this. I don't care how many degrees of doctors you have, how many big church you are, what kind of a big wheel you belong to. How many organizations, whatever it is, it has nothing to do with it until your sins are confessed and in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
You stand an unadulterated, a born again son or daughter of God with the life of God in you to speak a word of creation. Let this mountain be moved and it will mind you. I'm telling you, that's where we're standing. You're looking out here and you're seeing a new election. You're seeing, you haven't even doubts about this election. You're wondering if it will even hold up in court or whether the, uh, well, how crooked it will be and what the next regime will be like. You're wondering about the COVID and what's going on, the trouble in the land and China and the Russia and all the other threats. But do you realize where you're standing? That's where the world is standing. But where are you standing? You're standing in the the blood of the power of his restoration. Where it's restoring the people. Back on speaking terms again. Amen. Where you say, let this mountain be moved. And it's done. Amen. Oh my. Brother Branham said this. He said this in continuation, and I just want to get a few of these quotations. We'll bring it to a close. He said, what did he do? He humbled himself to death on Good Friday afternoon that he might rise on Easter Sunday to send back the Holy Spirit upon the church with a double portion of it, that he might do the same things that he did, that we might do the same things that he did. He promised, these signs shall follow them that believe. Oh, and how far we get away from him by our traditions. There you are. God hiding himself in in humility, revealing himself in power. That's the way God does it. That's God's program of doing it. Yes, sir, that he might bring many sons across the chasm. Oh, now notice he said, he said, if you cross the chasm, until you know positive, you're standing in the presence of God, a redeemed son and a daughter of God, and the signs and wonders, not a make-believe, but the genuine article of God, the Holy Spirit, burns within you. And what you say to this mountain, it moves. You believe that? If it doesn't, he says, now is your time. He said, if you say, I'm really hungry for God, You'll keep on standing until it comes. There's no end to it. You're persistent like the Syrphoenician woman. She couldn't take no. She really wanted it. Amen. And in his prayer, he said, Lord Jesus, in the way of humility, in the way of humbleness, I offer to you this congregation that's on their feet. I offer them to you because they have stood in response to the call. They're seeking a deeper Things. They're seeking more life after hearing the blood of Jesus so thoroughly cleanses us that there's no more nothing. That the complete word of God rests within them. Amen. That the very command of their own voice is creative power because in them is the Holy Ghost. And this Holy Ghost is a creator. He makes things come to pass because he speaks the word and the word spoken becomes God in action. Here we are. We come down to the journey of the last seven ages. We return right again 
to where Adam was, to where the first church was. We stand here right in the place of restoration. Restoration wasn't, friends, just to pull you out of denominations and bring you into a church called herself Message. Restoration was to bring you back into sonship. To restore you back to a place of authority again. Where that you who know your God does exploits. Because we are standing on the precipice of of where where we can't go any other way but up. Listen, you're surrounded. You're like the children of Israel. You're standing there and there's no way to go. I mean, mountains on this side, mountains on that side. The enemy coming behind you and nowhere to go except forward. And you know it's a precipice or it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sea that you've got to, that has walled you off. And you know you're right there. And you're standing there and you're looking at it and you see what's coming in and you see there's no way of escape. And we have reached the point that there is no way of escape. We're cut off from every side. We're cut off from all, all, from every hope of salvation. You can't, you can't depend on your election processes. You can't depend on some medicine that'll come along. You can't depend on anything. Is somebody with me? You're here and you're forced into a place. Amen. And the people of God are beginning to cry. And say, oh God, why is this? And how come that? And Lord, since the fathers have fallen asleep and the prophet is gone, all things remain as it was from the beginning. And God is saying, well, haven't I showed you over and over again? Haven't I showed you the power in my word? Didn't it make the cripples walk? Didn't it make the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear? Not just one occasion. Come on, church. Amen. I'm showing yourself myself alive among you. Amen. There's healing of cancer. There's healing of brain bleeds. Crippled children are walking. Things are happening. The deaf is hearing. Amen. Things are beginning to happen in the church. Why are you crying to me? Speak and go forward. Amen. It's not the end. It's the beginning. It is not the end. It's a continuation. It is not the end. It's a bride going home time. And we have come back to the place where church lost its first love. And there's a people that's got their first love back. They've left everything to follow him. And they want him more than anything. The blood and his power of restoration. We're here right on the brink. Can I just go back just for a moment, and I want to just bring out just a couple little quotes as we come to the close. I want to just read just a couple of little things that are very powerful. Creative work, Brother Branham said, that belongs in the church of Jesus Christ today under the blood of Jesus Christ. 
by his word that we're in contact with him. Creative work belongs. God showed him that we are there as he quotes, if you say to this mountain, he said, then it isn't us speaking anymore, it's deity speaking. And he says, I truly believe that the church is on the brink of one of the greatest outpourings that's ever had in this age. I believe, I can't say the Lord has told me, but it's just something inside me that's just catching a hold of something that I haven't seen all my life till just now. And how glorious it is to know that just before they come the Lord that these things are happening. And as he closes out his ministry, he stands and he says this. And I knoweth it not, one of the last sermons preached in Jeffersonville to his home church. I'm only building. A lot of people have come to the conclusion that Brother Branham was the end of this. That he was exactly what God wanted and was thinking, and that's all it is. But Brother Branham said, I'm only building. The hour is close at hand when you're going to see something happen. When something's going to take place. And all of this background here. He calls everything in the past background. Oh, that would be blasphemous to many, many message circles. Say, that was the background. And all this background here has only been laying a foundation for a short, quick message that will shake the whole nations. The bride must prophesy again. We've been eating the book a long time. It's time to let the spirit fall. And as it falls, so anointed people, not in human ways, but it come out of there, quickened, speaking the word, changing things. We're on the edge. Very soon. And let me tell you, I can bring you the quotes to show you. But Brother Branham is clear that this living bride will call the resurrection. And I don't think it'll be me and you out there at the graveyard screaming and crying. I think it'll be when our lives are shouting out the wondrous works of God that soon the dead in Christ will just walking among us. Walk right down these aisles. Come right to you wherever you are in the house. And you'll know when you see them. You're being changed from mortal to immortality. Because this blood has that power of restoration.
Let's bow our heads together as the musicians come this morning. I want you to look at it just a moment. It's got a power of restoration for you, my sinner friend. You can come to Jesus. You don't have to come to an angry God who's been offended. And let me tell you something. Your life offends him. It offends him. It offends him when our women, our women put on garments that pertain to a man or men dressed like effeminate like women. It offends him when we want to be like the world and, and show forth the world rather than the cleanliness and the purity of God. It offends him when we won't stand for truth and righteousness. This God is offended. But there is a compassionate Lord. Oh yeah, he's the same God, but he became a man so that you'd have an approach to your offense that has offended him, that has alienated you, that you'd have an approach to him. And he says to you, come to me. Come to me that you that are heavy laden, I will give you rest. There's rest. Come to me. I'll take your burden. I'll take the burden of sin. I'll set you free. I'll make you a son or daughter of God. Come to me. He that comes to me, I, I will in no wise cast him out. Come to me, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. Why wouldn't you want to come to him when a king walked among us, when he bore our shame, when he paid the price for redemption, when he gave water to those that were weary, food to those that were hungry? Why wouldn't we want to come to him? Why would we wait? Is there a pull in your heart that that name that's on the book, that mystery there in the book is calling your name and you hear a call and it's moving you, saying, come unto me, come unto me. I'll make your burdens easy. I'll take them. I'll bear your shame. Your reproach, I'll take and I'll wipe away every sin stain that's in your life. Make you free. Come to me. Come to Jesus. The compassionate one that looks down on the blindness of your heart. The compassionate one that looks at you as a sinner whose life says, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. The compassionate one saying, I will. Be thou clean. Lord Jesus, you see where we're standing, Lord. I somehow don't have words eloquent enough to say it. Somehow or another, I don't have the vocabulary to bring it. Somehow, Lord, maybe somebody else could do it. 
in, in a way that it could be grasped. And we come to sincerity. What about men and women today when Brother Branham was told the very same thing in order to bind this serpent, you've got to be more sincere. And he would even say to us, what's wrong with you, church? Where are you standing? What's wrong with the church anyhow? If you have the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the blood has cleansed you, we're not coming in the sincerity of the thing. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to realize where we're at in time as it blends into eternity. Knowing, Lord, we're here on the precedent of a great, a great message that comes forth from the bride as she prophesies again. I ask it in Jesus' name. We just come among your people today and walk among us. Wipe away every sin stain. As we baptize this young brother today, Lord, may you baptize him with the Holy Ghost. As we come in obedience to the word, cleanse us from every sin, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to walk after the deeds of the flesh. Thank you, Lord that this is not a reformation, but a transformation. Thank you, Lord, that we have a power within us that gives us power because of the blood. I ask it in Jesus' name, your blessings on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. sincere, more dedicated, more consecrated, more realizing. What about it? When we so often just gloss over these scriptures and don't come to realize where we're at in time. Oh, he calls you now to a greater life. Look what the blood can do. Can we be a continuation? Can we be a dedicated church that's consecrated? Can we be so surrendered? We become like Ananias Sapphira Church, where sin isn't among us. And all the Spirit is calling out, dealing with ours. Let him call for you today. Calling As he calls for us.
Amen. I have Brother Zachary Coleman that has come to uh, be baptized today in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a great privilege that when we have a young person to want to come to the Lord to be able to baptize him in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is, this, um, this is his 14th birthday. And I tell you, there's no greater gift than eternal life. That's right. Amen. And we thank God for that and for that promise that is given to us, to our children, to them that are far off, and even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Little Brother Zachary, take your hands here. You know, the Lord Jesus has sent us into the world to herald his gospel this end time. And we just pray in the name of Jesus that as we will baptize you today in water, that the Holy Spirit will go with you, that he will dwell inside of you, that you will be a heart that is surrendered to God and a vessel chosen by the Lord to serve him from this day on. And the Lord Jesus sent me to preach the gospel, to, to baptize those that believe, to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And that's why, according to that divine commandment, we want to be obedient today. And in doing so, we baptize you now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you. When I am weak, I call on the Lord, and He hears me. Yes, He helps me. He is faithful and true. Won't forget His own. Oh, He's my companion, my best friend, the only true God. There's no one great. Amen. Let's just stand and worship Him before we go. fire just to save a sinner. He is almighty. To guide There is no storm too powerful. God cannot handle. Revealing you and me down from his glory and gave us a victory. The greatest love story. And when you're in trouble, Jehovah Nisi, the great enforcer, God Almighty will fight your battles. Oh yes, He will stand for you. Your victory will come, not the way you think it should. But my great Jehovah just loves a paradox. Stay in your position, watch the miraculous come into action. Listen to 
sing it again as the message go ahead and dismiss. Greatest love story. And our God is tremendous. Strength never failing. He goes through the fire just to save a sinner. He is almighty. He sends his angels to guide me. Too powerful, God cannot handle our God in simplicity revealed. Oh, came down from his glory and gave us the victory. Oh, when you're in trouble, and when you're in trouble, Jehovah Nisi, for sir, God Almighty will fight your battles. Oh, yes, he will stand for you. Just loves a paradox. Stay in your position. Watch the miraculous come into action. And our God is tremendous. Strength never failing. He goes through the fire just to save a sinner. He is almighty. He sends his angels to guide me. There is no storm too powerful. God in simplicity. Amen. You can be dismissed this morning.